God, open your heart, get ready to receive. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you guys who were here last week, you may remember that we started a new mini-series uh, called God With Us. God With Us. And uh, so we're detailing through a very uh, popular word that we see throughout Scripture, especially, uh, especially around this time of holiday season, Emmanuel. How many of you guys have heard that name many, many times throughout different songs and things like that? Yeah, it's very, very common to see that. But I think that the implications of that, of that name, that the meaning, Emmanuel, God with us, is a little, uh, a little more important than what we tend to gloss over just in passing through these times. Um, I know that holidays are a great, uh, great means of, rem of reminding ourselves of certain things that have happened. And many times it's, it's, it's great when those things first happen. It's hot on people's minds. It's quick for them to remember. They, they either live through something like uh, many of us remember the when we look at September 11th. Uh, many of you guys can remember exactly where you were that day when that, uh, when that happened. The things that were happening around that time, what the news was like, what the, um, wh what the different conversations you were having, what was going on with security, all the things that happened nationally whenever September 11th happened. And so now when September 11th rolls around, you remember specifically because you experienced it. And so it's easy when you experience something to remember those things, but when we talk about like the Reformation of the Church with Martin Luther, uh, Martin, uh, Martin, not Martin Luther King, uh, Martin Luther, uh, whenever he nailed up the, the 95 theses on the on the door post in, in Edinburgh, you you don't quite connect with it as well because we weren't there. And so if if we don't know specifically about what had happened, it's harder for us to be able to connect easily with what goes on because it was October 30. First, when when Luther put that up on the Wittenberg door, <coughs> when those theses were put up, and that transformed the way that we look at many of our churches today. But in reality, that's the day that many people celebrate Halloween. And so, when you look at that, it, the 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 remembrance of that day is is kind of lost on many people, unless you know what actually happened on that day for the church and for our faith and for what it means for us to truly worship God in faith and what faith looks like from that place and not just relying on an institution or penance or anything like that so that you can get taken up out of purgatory and put into heaven. That's a very contentious thing that was happening in those days, and so we don't remember it. And so when we say Emmanuel, God with us, it's an easy thing for us to sing in songs. It's an easy thing for us to just say quickly in phrase around these times of, uh, of, of winter months and singing in songs and things like that. It's great. I love it. But we tend to just do it around this holiday season without a deep conviction around what that actually means. And can we carry that throughout the rest of the year as well into our lives? When the Israelites, when they would gather around and they would have different festivals and feasts, uh, they wouldn't just gather and eat. So something that we do very well here is we can gather and we can eat. It's awesome. I love, love good food. But, but they didn't just gather and eat. They gathered around and spent quite some time around the table detailing the history of what their people went through in the midst of suffering, trials, triumphs, things that, that their people did right, things that their people got really wrong, and how God showed himself sovereign in the midst of all of that. They detailed that 
at the table in the midst of those, those festivals and feasts. Everything they did circled around remembering what God had done. And so I'm going re- to read the two passages of scripture that we, we walked through a little bit from last week. Isaiah 7.14 to start with. And I'll talk a little bit more about the prophet Isaiah today. But he says here in chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, he says this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Fascinating. Fascinating. First off, our dreams are really important. Dreams are are, are real valuable. I, I I tend to believe, and you can disagree with me, that's fine, but I tend to believe that if we spend a good third of our lives at least sleeping, then that's a great opportunity for the Lord to speak to us in times where we are completely void of distraction. And so dreams can be very important. We, uh, uh, at our house, we've, we've been practicing this a little bit more. I took a, I took a class at seminary uh, on uh, prophecy, biblical prophecy for today. And in that, we also did a little bit on, um, we read a book by James Gall on dreams. Really, really fascinating book. Really great to, to go through and read the biblical basis for God speaking to us in dreams. And, uh, and he details, uh, Gaul details in that book that the Jews would go through a bedtime prayer with, uh, with, the, with each other in the middle of that. They would go through a bedtime prayer, and in that prayer, they would pray for, actually, actually no, I'm, I'm going to leave that there. I'll have to search for a minute. Um, in that bedtime prayer, they would go through and they would thank God for all the things that he had done that day. They would detail... Um, I'll just look it up. It's on my phone. I have it right there. Because I don't want to. I don't want to mess this up for you guys. Like I'm talking to you guys about this. But we've been. We've started to pray this. I have a, a notebook that's right next to my bed, and we open up this notebook. I call it my dream. My dream journal. And uh, and we sit there and we'll read this every night. And if I have a dream that I can remember, I'll open up the journal and I'll write the dream down. And uh, and it's been really cool. Okay, here it is. Uh, this type of, of, of prayer prepares a heart and mind for the tefillah and the bedtime prayers themselves. So tefillah is a type of praise. These actually constitute one prayer in three parts. The first part 
is the hamafil, the one who casts prayer, in which we ask God for a night of good dreams and the secure feeling of protection as we sleep. And it goes like this. Blessed are you, our God, gracious one, keeper of the world, who makes my eyes sleepy and causes my eyelids to close. God of those who came before me, help me to lie down peacefully and rise up peacefully. While I sleep, may I not be disturbed by troubling ideas, bad dreams, or scary thoughts that come to me in the night. May my sleep bring both rest and insight. Blessed are you, God, for illuminating the whole world in glorious ways. Part two of the prayer is a familiar Shema that is known to many Jews and non-Jews alike. Taken from the Deuteronomy 6.4 passage, the Shema is the core statement of Jewish belief and loyalty. Um, Dr. Um, N.T. Wright actually believes that this was the prayer that Paul was reciting as he was on the road to Damascus, which was highly illuminating as he was moving through because it was a time of the, of the day and the same type of portion of which um, rabbis would be repeating the Shema. And so as he was going through stating, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Going back and forth, stating that, that as he was stating, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Bam! Then Jesus shows up in front of him, God himself. And so beautiful, beautiful imagery there. So the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then the Jewish dream book goes on to explain that the third and final part of the bedtime prayer is referred to as the angel's prayer, which calls upon God to send his angels to protect us in the night and enable us to feel the security of his presence. On your right side is Michael, the angel of love. On your left is Gabriel, the angel of power. Before you is Uriel, the angel of light. And behind you is Raphael, the angel of healing. And all over you is Shekinah, God's imminent presence. And so the prayer goes on like this. In the name of the Lord God of Israel, may the angel Michael be at my right side and at my left side, Gabriel. Before me, Uriel. Behind me, Raphael. And above my head, Shekinah El, God's presence. And that's the way that they would dream. And so they would pray this over themselves and their families for God's protection and his, uh, and his uh, willingness to speak to them in the midst of the night. And you can see all throughout scripture that dreams play a very valuable part in many people's destiny and what they end up walking into. And so dreams, Joseph was a dreamer. And you see Daniel, Daniel was a dreamer. And you can go on and on and on and on and on. That many different people through a dream heard the Lord speak and then they walked out in obedience to that. And you can see the Lord's provision in the middle of it. And so you can see that Joseph, also a dreamer right here. Not the one with many colors, but the one who was... Uh, the husband of Mary, he had a dream and the Lord spoke to him in the midst of that dream. And so the Lord speaks to us in many different ways and it's beautiful. Um, so we see that and then we see just to understand what was going on in, in, uh, in the prophet Isaiah's timeline because I think it's important for us to know especially when it comes to a lot of these Old Testament books, I mean really for all the Bible but whenever different people say specific stuff Sometimes it's difficult to try to translate how we apply that to our lives today. Anybody ever done that before? It's like, I read this, but this seems kind of wild, so how am I supposed to apply this to my life today? So it's really helpful to know the culture and what was happening his historically in that area to understand why these words were spoken to this group of people in this specific time. And so we see that in, in Isaiah's time, I'm reading through a commentary called the New International Commentary on the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite commentary series. 
It says, during the time of, of this chapter being written, essentially, uh, Syria had been governed by a succession of weak rulers who were unable to uh, hold the conquests of their earlier emperors. They were kind of the main superpower, essentially, at that time. The weakness had given Assyria's neighbors, especially more distant ones, a period of relief from the pressure of Assyrian expansionism because they were tearing through territories, just taking one place after another, after another, after another. They had some really powerful emperors um, uh, before this time. Judah and Israel were no different from the rest. Roughly 810 to 750 BC, the two kingdoms enjoyed a peace and prosperity that they had not known since the time of Solomon. However, it was during this time that uh, that Israel was not walking in such pure ways. These long and comparatively stable reigns gave both kingdoms, but especially Israel, a false sense of complacency. God was, they felt like God was surely pleased with them, otherwise they would not be experiencing such great things. The prophets Amos and Hosea were commissioned to disabuse the Israelites of this wrong notion, but without much apparent success. So you guys remember the books Hosea and Amos? Those two books specifically? That was around the same time. So you, there's, we forget about this sometimes when we're looking through Old Testament literature, that there are people alive at the same exact time in the Old Testament. It's not just a chronological uh, rendering or reading of Scripture right there. So Amos, Hosea were both around at that same time as well. And so they tried to pull Israel out of this complacency in their lives. But Israel continued on an apostate road, which only could lead to destruction. Judah is depicted in the Bible as being somewhat less corrupted by apostasy, um, apart from a specific guy's, a specific king's attempt to try to act as high priest. Um, the situation only increased the Judean spiritual complacency as they compared themselves to their godless relatives of Israel. And so these two nations were playing comparative games, one to another. Israel starting to walk into much more idolatry and debauchery. They allowed temple prostitution. They started to do a lot of things like that. They started to walk into some of those um, ways that the other neighboring nations were doing. And because of that, Judah were like, well, pff, we are at least not like those crazy people over in Israel. We're at, we're at least doing way better than they are. Which then, as they compared themselves to the other nation, instead of to the standard that God had set, they still walked into idolatry. So a word must be said about the nature of the apostasy into Israel, and later Judah fell. This is defined in Hosea and Ezekiel as prostitution, or the debasing of oneself with unworthy lovers for gain. The Hebrew people, for the Hebrew people, this meant forgetting God. That is, forsaking their sole allegiance and obedience to him and serving other gods, particularly those representing power and fertility. For the prophets, idolatry, adultery, and oppression are always indisputably linked. So I want to read in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's a, it's a short chapter, just 20 short verses. So we're going we're gonna to read through this uh, quickly. It says this, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today. 
so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you or your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone or on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. That's crazy. It's crazy. Again, he's speaking to the Israelites who are in the, in the wilderness after they were, uh, were exited from Egypt. To know that in your heart, that as a man uh, disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and, re and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs, gushing out into the valleys and hills. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. You like that, don't you, Kenneth? Mm -hmm. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful what you do not, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, you will build fine houses and settle down. And when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty, waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of the hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. And so we see, specifically, from this passage, that the Lord had promised the Israelites that, hey, if you start walking into, into idolatry, if you walk back into this type of lifestyle, then it's going to be very difficult for you to continue to live in a place that is, that is full of the abundance of my blessing. If you look at other idols, if you take upon yourself other, other practices, if you start walking into idolatry and all these other things, then you will find that it's going to be very difficult yourself it's not because you had done things on your own hand because the blessings that you've received have not been because you have been able to create that otherwise you would have never been delivered from Egypt you were slaves to another person to another kingdom but the kingdom of God set you free and so you see that 
that Hosea and Amos, these guys were tasked with the opportunity to tell Israel, remind them yet again, it is not by your own hands that you've received blessing. The complacency that they walked into, you remember seeing that it's the, it's, as the commentator said, the, the complacency of feeling that just because things are, are things that are bad are not happening to me must mean that I'm doing the right thing. How many times have we thought this before in our lives? Hey, I'm, I'm not living for the Lord, but things bad aren't happening to me, so that means that I must be okay. How many people in the world are thinking that right now? Man, I got loads of money. That's awesome. I got 15 yachts and I got 17 houses, 4,500 cars. Things are good. I'm doing whatever the heck I want to do. But it doesn't mean that their soul has peace. Also doesn't mean that they are void of, of having to figure out what authenticity looks like around them. They're always having to look over their shoulder, hoping that somebody doesn't come around and take what they have built themselves. Because when you become the king of your own castle, it's very difficult because you become the sole defender of that castle. And Jesus says in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Lord is responsible for the kingdom of heaven. So when we're humble and poor in spirit, then that means we come to him knowing that he is the one that is the protector and the provider. He is my strong tower and my strength. Out of all the people that we see in the in in the times of, of Abraham, Genesis chapter 18, we, we see from verses 16 through 19, the Lord tells us what his plan was for Abraham. He says this, when the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham, walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation in all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. By doing what is right and just. So that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Keeping the way of the Lord is very valuable to us. To hear his voice is to look at his commands and to follow it. If you feel like you can't hear his voice right now, then looking and seeing what he has said is a great place to start on recognizing what his voice sounds like. And there are some times that we can get caught up in knowing that we can hear the voice of God that we negate looking at scripture because we feel like we can just hear him. We have to know what his voice sounds like and we have to continue to look and see what he has to say because I guarantee you that you will never get to a position, at least in my experience, I can never get to a position of just knowing everything there is to know about the Bible and then being content with that and then being able to close the book and walk away completely and feel satisfied with never having to look at it again. Every time I open up the word, every time I read scripture, I find something new that I didn't originally see. 
even if I've read that passage time and time again, he illuminates something that's a connecting piece of what I've been reading before. He pinpoints certain things that are, that are convicting and that, that will, will push you to be even more intentional about the way that you live your life, and the way that you treat others, the way that you think and the way that you operate. But we cannot do that if we don't open up the word to see what he has to say. You want peace in your life? You need to read the word. You need to seek his voice in the midst of the word. It's going to be something that provides you that. In this Advent season, last, last, month, uh, last week, hope was the, was the identifier for that week. It was, the, it was kind of the launching pad for the Advent season. This week, today, it's peace. The Prince of Peace. God with us also brings peace. However, we see time and time again in Scripture that if we are not cognizant of God with us, then we will start to appease our own flesh and do the things that we desire to do, which could feel great for a little while because you're starting to satiate maybe some of those desires. However, you begin to, uh, to create an appetite that is unsatiable. And that, that appetite will only lead to destruction in your life to, and then ultimately to death. If there's not any kind of intervention in the midst of that, you will be led to death in the middle of that. Now, I mean that in a very literal sense, that death is imminent, but I also mean that in the sense of death of relationship, death of a job, maybe death of connections, maybe death of, uh, of, of, of knowledge, maybe, maybe death of, of your financial possibilities. There could be a deceasing of many different things because we continuously look to fulfill the desires of our flesh. We find ourselves at war internally, too, because if we dedicated our lives to the Lord, then that means that now we're at war with our, our life as a believer, with the Holy Spirit's activity. We now gave the Holy Spirit permission to act inside of our lives as a convictor of all the things that we are experiencing. And so now when we start to walk in the flesh, we start to feel the resistance of the Holy Spirit in the middle of that. And so the Lord specifically chose Abraham because he knew that he was going to instruct and teach his, his family. To teach them the law, to teach them the ways of the Lord. To follow after him. The funny thing is that right after this passage that I just read, Abraham goes to take, um, or excuse me, after, after the Lord approaches Abraham earlier in, in, uh, in the book of Genesis, I think it's chapter 12, when he approaches Abraham and says, Abraham, you're going to be a father of many nations. It's going to be great, wonderful, awesome. He's like, woohoo, awesome. And he says, take up all these things and then get to going. I'm going to take you to that land. Immediately after that, Abraham pretends that Sarah is his sister and gives her away. He made a stupid mistake right off the bat, the very next thing, after you see the promise that God had given him about stuff. The very next activity we see in the Bible is that he gives his wife away and pretends that she is his sister because he was afraid. So we make mistakes. People in the Bible are not void of making mistakes. 
However, we see that in Hebrews chapter 11, we call that the hall of faith. There are many different people listed in there. Abraham's one of them, Moses, some others. And it goes on and on and on to show the different people who have been counted to have faith. But the, but the crazy thing about it is, is that we cannot hold these people high on a pedestal because you look at each and every one of those people's lives and they all messed up. Every one of those dudes messed up. Those guys and gals. They had many different things that they failed in, except for one on that list. His name is Jesus. So that we, even the, even the strongest names in all of the Bible that you can see throughout the Old Testament didn't get it right, which is very encouraging to me. Very encouraging to me. And that even though they didn't get it right, there was hope that was still found in Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about how God desires to dwell among us. From the story of creation we see. From Adam and Eve, he desired to remove that, that shame that, we desire, that, that we've tried to cover up with our own, our own selves. Our own fig leaves, trying to cover it up, knowing that leaves deteriorate at some point. I get a yard full of them right now. You step on them, they crunch, they crumble. Not very great means of clothing, if you ask me. What he did was he removed what they tried to cover up, and he clothed them with something that was lasting. He desires to dwell with us. He had Abraham leave the land that he was in currently and go with the promise of a new place that God was going to give him and that he would be with him. The Israelites in the book of Exodus, you see, they cried out. And the directive that God gave Moses was to go to Moses and say, let me take my people out to the wilderness so that we can worship. He didn't say anything about setting them free. He said so they can worship. But in the process and the activity of giving your life in worship to God, he sets you free. I'm going to say that again. You don't set yourself free. The Israelites could not set themselves free in Egypt. They did not do it. They were unsuccessful. Years and years and years of being held in captivity by Egypt, being used as slaves to build things, uh, to, to, to be, be used to expand their territory, all these things. They were used and abused consistently. They never one time set themselves free in the middle of that. They were a powerful nation. When Joseph settled in the land and was the right hand to Pharaoh and gave him a, a, uh, an interpretation of the dream and, and told him all these things, Pharaoh allowed his family to come and to live in the, in the area. And they grew so much that then the later Pharaohs forgot the deeds of Joseph, Scripture says, forgot the deeds of Joseph and said they were intimidated by the, by the sheer size of Israel. So then they enslaved them. They never set themselves free. But in the yes that Moses gave in leading the people out of Egypt, he gave a yes to go worship. And in that yes to go worship, the Lord set the nation free from their captivity. Not only set them free from captivity, but he also destroyed the enemy as the enemy pursued after them in the middle of it. You can think about that a lot. 
Think, think deeply on this, in that whenever they left the nation of, of, of Egypt, they were given gold, they were given all kinds of different things that they could utilize. I mean, they were given riches upon riches. They were given all kinds of things that they were able to take. It was incredible the amount of goods that they were given by the Egyptians so that they could get out. And they left, they walked right out of the nation. And as they were going, they felt the freedom and the liberation of that. Oh my gosh, look at this. This is incredible. We are set free. We're going out to go worship. Happy day. And then in the distance, in the distance they heard the patter of the hooves of the horses. They heard the chariot wheels rolling and rolling quickly as it was a small sound it increased in much larger larger sound the hair on the back of their neck began to raise panic began to set in heart beating quickly as an entire nation mostly on foot was trying to go out to a place to go worship they did not feel the peace of God in that moment. What they felt was the fear of captivity once again. How many times have we felt that in our lives where I know I'm saved, I'm free, I'm, I'm no longer in the this, in this same place that I was before, this is incredible, this is amazing. I'm not bound by the Egypt that was, that was defined in my life, whether it was drugs, alcohol, whether it was um, uh, uh, adulterous behavior, whether if it was, um, what, you can name whatever it was. I was a gambler. I was this. I was that. I was a liar. I was a cheater. I was a thief. Name it. I'm out of that now. It's great. That Egypt is behind me. But then as you're walking through life, you feel like you hear the hooves of the enemy approaching again. You feel like you can, you can almost sense the rumble of the ground as the chariots start to approach you from behind. You're not in captivity again, but you sure do remember what it's like to be in that position. You sure do remember the feeling of those chains on your hands as you had to work through that slavery. You felt the condemnation and the whip on your back again as you hear just a, yet another shout from a commander in the back. thought I was free, but yet here I am feeling the same feelings of oppression without even having my hands bound. Fear sets in. Yet, God in his grace and his mercy that has promised to have them go and him to dwell with them separates the enemy from his people, creates a barrier. And then he commands Moses to go. Moses puts his rod out. Sea splits. Goodness gracious, I thought we were, <laughs> this is not going to work. Thought, I thought it was for sure that we we're going to go back into slavery. But he provides a way where there seems to be no way. Where it looks like if you were to move forward, you would drown. I can feel it. They're back there. But I don't know what to do because I'm drowning in my own stuff right now. Trust in the Lord as he opens that water. 
and you walk on dry ground across to the other side. And in your awe and bewilderment that you have not yet passed, (laughs) as you cross over to the other side, it's a miracle in your mind that this has happened. But yet there's still the sense as you can hear the chariots start to move through the same place that you were in. My God, I thought that was it. And then the waters. And the enemy drowns and the same thing you thought you were going to be passed through. The God of peace does not mean that things don't happen around. The God of peace means that as you trust in him, that he will make a way and I will not have to worry about being full of fear because my trust is in the one who gave me the command to go and worship. It was in going to worship him that they were set free. Not them hearing a massive word that they were going to be completely removed from their chains and left. In Isaiah's day, we mentioned earlier that they were complacent by their own blessing, by feeling of their own blessing. We can easily find ourselves in this place too, especially today. In the place that we're at as far as this nation, we have lots of abilities and freedoms to do many different things. Even in a contentious time, Politically, we still have many, 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 many freedoms that many other places can't even touch. And so we can get complacent in the freedoms that we have right now and our opportunities and availability for things to feel like all things are good because nothing bad's happening. But that's why our faith is not dependent upon circumstance. Our faith in God is not supposed to be dependent upon circumstance. Our faith in God is due to the sacrifice that he gave by giving of himself on the cross and then raising three days later. For I have chosen him that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what's right and just. So the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Isaiah 26, 1 through 6 says this. It says, In the day the song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. He humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. Feet trample it down, the feet of the oppressed, the footsteps of the poor. The path of the righteous is level. You, the upright one, make the way of the righteous smooth. And we'll, we'll end on verse 9. Yes, Lord, 
walking in the way of your laws. We wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments came or come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. God with us, Emmanuel, is righteousness come to earth. Righteousness embodied in Christ, displayed for us to see what it looks like to truly live for him. Baked in relationship with God, not just by religious duties. Because we remember that Paul writes that it is by grace we have been saved. Not so that men can boast. And so the grace of God gives us peace. We see in Isaiah's writings, he said that those who trust in the Lord, those who trust in the Lord, are kept in perfect peace. Because their minds are steadfast. He didn't say because their circumstances are never bad. Their minds are steadfast upon him. As we remember peace in this Advent season, we remember that he is the Prince of Peace, that when God came, we have perfect, perfect submission in him, knowing that when I give myself to him in worship, he's the one that sets me free. When I give myself totally to him, and I like to define worship in the sense of hearing the voice of God and obeying it in action and belief. Worship is not just singing songs, although I love to do that. It's very fun. I enjoy it. That is just a minuscule piece of what worship is. To worship him is actually to obey what he says. And to obey what he says, we have to hear his voice and know what he says. To know what he says, we have to read the word. To read the word, we got to open the word. And to open the word, we have to be intentional about wanting to spend time with him. And to want to be intentional to spend time with him means that we have to believe that he truly is the source of my salvation. That he truly is the Prince of Peace, the Almighty God, the one who can bring my chaotic mind into perfect submission to his will, knowing that I can trust him in all things and believe in all things and hope him in him in all things and endure in all things because his love never fails. So God with us is more than just a song. It's more than just a phrase. It's more than just a nice holiday clip. We cheapen it if we only make it that. Emmanuel, God with us, the creator of the universe, the one who desired for us to be with him, the one that even when Adam and Eve tried to make excuses about fearing their nakedness, he knew. He knew that it wasn't the shame of their nakedness that was the miss. It was the missing of his voice and the listening to another and taking that as truth. That was the sin. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all his The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I forget his benefits when I think I lack something. 
with my lips I don't bless your name. Because whenever I believe that I lack something, it's, it's calling God a liar. Stating that he cannot fill what I need. God, if I forget his benefits, I'm saying that I lack something because he cannot provide it. But if I truly bless his name in worship and praise, then that means I will not allow the circumstances of life define my belief in his ability to provide for me everything that I need. He even sent ravens to Elijah when he was at the brook so that he could eat. He will provide for you. Even in the wilderness, he provided manna for a nation of, of Israelites, a nation bred from the sky. wild their clothes didn't tear their feet didn't swell that was in the bible i just read it the lord is my shepherd i lack nothing emmanuel god with us is he your peace this morning or are you allowing fear of the past to be the thing that's on your mind as you're walking through obedience to worship him Jesus, we love you. We worship and adore you. We ask you, God, that you continuously remind us of what it means.